Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Oh my gosh, you guys, welcome to Cavs a Podcast. The monkey is off the back. The South Beach monkey is off the Cavaliers' back. I mean, what? since 2010, since Shaq was a Cavalier, the Cavs have not won in Miami, and they do it tonight in resounding fashion. Uh, what was the final lead, 24 points? Uh, of 126. 26, 111, 85, Cavs leading by much as much as 30 for the second time in two games. Um, just a, I don't want to call it a dismantling. It was just like a steady, just pulling further and further away from the Heat who just could not score enough to overcome the Cavs' stifling 14 block. Um, how many steals did they have? They had eight steals. Um, they held Miami to 38% from the field, 32% from three. Uh, forced, and the amazing thing is, is they did it with only forcing 11 turnovers. I mean, they just shut down Miami's interior, uh, 46 to 28 on the boards, which is insane. Just, a utter domination. <laughs> so, so much fun. I, I, where do we start, guys? Well, how, how long do monkeys live? Because that's a ten that's a ten year old. I, I got okay. While well, you kind of talk about the game, I'm going to Google monkey ages. <laughs> yeah, because that's one of those stats that's just. I mean, that's like Ben Roethlisberger winningest uh, Brown Stadium type stat. Like it's that's unreal to think about. Um, I was seeing that, uh, that team, that's, that's Shaq, LeBron, that's Booby Gibson, uh, that's, uh, yeah, you still got Big Z coming off the bench, 
10 years ago. Uh, I think D West <laughs> is on that roster. If I'm reading this correctly. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a big, that's a big deal. And just coming into there and uh, they had some injuries, you know, we have some injuries too, you know, missing two, I would argue really important guys on our team right now with Chetty and Sexton, obviously. And yeah, they just kind of took care of it. I mean, Deadman came out and came to play, you know, um, they had what, uh, what's up? The little guy's name, Carly, who shot all those threes he hit us last year when we played them as well. Harrow? No. Um, one of their bench guys. <laughs> Hold on. One. Struss? Max Struss? Uh, yes. He was, him. Like, he was. They had a little offense going. Yeah. He, he had 11 points, three for five from deep. Um, but, but nobody really, like, just started going off, you know, Gabe. I'm sorry, two for five. Gabe Vincent had three for five from deep. You saw, you know, in the second half, their strategy was really to run that drive and kick game and try and get open threes, but it just wasn't enough. Yeah. And I mean, Kyle Lowry's still on that team. I actually thought Garland, I was really watching Garland's defense this time, and uh, I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, he does his style of defense, which is, you know, he admirably chases the person and tries to stay in front of him. Uh, but I thought he had a nice game. Kyle Lowry ends up with seven points, um, 28 minutes. So it wasn't a ton. Um, and he had some, you know, four rebounds, four assists, but that's a pretty good, you know, and I say all that to just say that this was still a good heat game, like, or a good heat team that, uh, the Cavs beat. I mean, it was, they were up 30 going into basically garbage time before that last timeout, maybe a little over four or a little under four minutes left to put in the, the, uh, garbage time squad. Yeah, the the monster. Uh, I'm, I kind of want to break it down by quarter here. <laughs> Excuse me. We got a 26 to 23rd quarter. A 20. It was it, like the first quarter, 31 to 16, and then in the second quarter, you know, Miami kind of clawed it back to eight, and then the Cavs went on a big run to close the quarter. The Cavs really closed the second, third, and obviously the fourth quarter well um to put the game away uh just really running the two for one game really well um you know out executing them at the end of the game i know uh jared allen had a tip in at the end of the second quarter uh and then darius garland just heaved in a a 29 footer from the top of the way behind the top of the key to close the third quarter i mean it was it was a just a domination by the Cavs. And and the amazing thing was the Cavs did it with 20 turnovers. You know, without those turnovers, it's you, you got to wonder how much the Cavs would have dominated even more than they did. Uh, yeah, Mr. Francis, any, what were your big takeaways? What did you love the most I other mean, than kicking Miami's butt? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, it's got to be Kevin Love. He's the leading scorer tonight, which two points off the bench uh looking like minnesota freaking love i mean in 21 minutes he's got 22 points six rebounds three assists two steals and a block when's the last time he's had three stocks in a game i want to know what that <laughs> oh yeah. uh, you know what yeah. i mean like he he just absolutely dominated the game plus 29 on the game and then his wow. his sidekick was ricky rubio I mean, Ricky Rubio was plus 38 in 26 minutes. That's just unbelievable. Uh, 
you know, impact, winning impact on the game. You know, he's, you know, six assists, two steals, five rebounds, uh, kept the turnovers down, only three turnovers. You know, his defense was fantastic and just running the show, you know, uh, when, when couldn't. And, uh, you know, it was like someone made a comment. I think it might have been Adam uh, uh, on the game thread about just – Rubio and Love, uh, they know it's a good team. They know that there's some horses on this team now with Mobley, Allen, you know, Allen blossoming, Garland blossoming, uh, getting market in, uh, Okoro now, uh, four for five, 10 points, uh, three rebounds, two assists, two, uh, you know, two stocks. Has Okoro possibly turned a corner with two good games in a row? Uh, so those are the two main things that stick out is just, uh, Kevin Love and Rubio having fun on a, you know, bringing the veteran presence to a young team and then a Coro possibly turning a quarter. So, uh, that, that's, you know, that's what's got me excited right now. I'd say the other thing that Rubio does so well and, and literally the Cavs are really hard team to game plan against now because almost no other team in the NBA well, I would say no other team in the NBA runs three seven-footers in the starting lineup. And three seven-footers that all can do very different things offensively and are all pretty darn good defensive players. Um, and then, you know, you, you bring in Love off the bench. And the one thing that Ricky Rubio is seemingly fantastic at, and Garland is good as well, just feeding the big guys, just getting the <laughs> yes. ball in and up on the boards. And, you know, it's pick and roll. It's um, they're running a lot of different actions to get guys free. I loved I, when's the last time you saw a team in the NBA busting a zone with a three post offense in the in, in uh, closeout time? They just they ran that three post uh you know, double screen action against the two, three zone and just destroyed it. Like <laughs> Miami didn't have any idea what to do with that. And they were just getting layups for Jared Allen and for, you know, Evan Mobley with a terrible first half and then just pure butter in the second half. Yeah, that's you know, you're totally right. And the other thing that sticks out, the other thing that sticks out in my mind is, the Cavs were just on another level. They were clowning and playing with their food after the first quarter. They just knew they were better and they were just do, you know, it was scary how good they played today. I mean, like, like you said, 20 turnovers and they win by 30 or nearly 30. That's insane. They shot 50% from the field, a 50, 50, 90 from the field and out rebounded the team by 20. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and this is not a bad, you know, Miami team or defense. That being said, missing a lot of key guys and clearly missing their two best players in Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, and that hurt them a lot. I thought oh, Debman played, played well, though. I thought Debman played well. I think he had a really good game for him. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I watch a lot of uh, – uh, is it Dwayne? Wayne Debman? Debman? Uh, but he, Dwayne you know, he Dedman, had, yes, Dwayne one of Dedman. the many different ways to spell Dwayne in the NBA, and I kind of like him going way back too. So maybe I'm biased, but yeah, no, uh, I've I always liked Dwayne Dedman yeah. before he, you know, 
laid at a total egg in Atlanta, but yeah. yeah. But you know, at this point he's, yeah, he's deep into being a vet, you know, it's not quite a, a Davis com- coming off the bench, but I thought he played really well and he still challenged a little bit of length inside and made those guys actually work through most of the game. Uh, but, but can we talk about that zone for a second that they did in the second quarter? I think this. Uh, I think nobody, this an nobody on this thing. podcast is going to stop you. Because <laughs> <That's laughs> right. I down. I started going into like recap mode and, and writing a lot in that stretch during the second quarter. The Heat started running that zone at two, three, and they're two of the guards are meeting Rubio like just as he passes. Like they're not quite, you know, like doubling him, but they're really playing aggressively on Rubio, trying to shut down all the different stuff he's trying to do at that point, right? So somebody starts yelling, elbow, elbow, which I'm guessing is JB. I can't confirm that. And sure enough, Rubio passes it in to uh, Mobley at the elbow. Mobley finds Love open. Love drains the three. Next time down the court, again, coach is yelling, elbow, elbow. Rubio feeds Mobley in the elbow. Elbow puts the rock on the floor, makes a pass. Somebody ends up uh, getting run off the three-point line and scoring. That happened four consecutive possessions. <laughs> the entire thing. The coach yelling elbow, the pass getting fed into the elbow, and an open shooter. I mean, that was well, like how about that one busting. How about that one pass to love in the left corner by Mobley uh, yes. in the early fourth where it was just like a laser right in the shooting pocket from the left wing. I was like – It reminded me so much of that high school game, uh, one of the high school games that I was watching for the article I did. Yep. I mean, he, he does that play on the uh, ESPN Showcase game when he was in high school. And he, he does the exact same pass to an open, I mean, cause the gravity is so great, even when, you know, you're playing against that zone, but it, going into the elbow is a decent first step, but they were closing out on the paint so much trying to shut down the Cavs pick and roll. And then they had to switch back to doing man for a little while. And in that same quarter, I mean, they're throwing Hail Marys at this point, right? They go back to zone and they start running a three, two zone. These guys are practicing at this point. They're just like, well, let's try a different zone. Who, who Miami? Yeah, they went yeah. to yeah. They so it's three two is three on the inside, two on the outside. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It, well, and and they late both. they were playing two three again, <laughs> and that's when that Cavs ran that um, triple post offense, and it was like, oh, oh, you're in trouble, NBA. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a that's a coach trying to get a practice out of a loss, if you ask me. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I mean for sure, and you know, I don't think you know, Dwayne Dedman clearly not in the same league athletically uh, and skill-wise is Jared Allen. And Jared absolutely made him pay. Um, uh, Honestly, I thought one of the Cavs' biggest problems um, when they started were really turning it over a lot in the third quarter when um, Miami made that mini run, I thought that uh, the guards were being a little too ball-dominant and – you know, Ricky Rubio was going in amongst the trees and trying to throw the lob or, or you know, put up the uh, the floater when the wing kickouts were wide open, but they were to Stevens and Okoro, and I think maybe he didn't want to throw it out there. And and I'm like, you know, throw it out there because those guys are making the right decisions today. But the Cavs really kind of solved that by letting the other guys on the team be playmakers again. And yeah. I thought they really did a nice job of that. It, it was Super fun to watch. And Allen coming off his career night, I was curious to see how he'd do. Obviously, he had a downgrade at his uh, opposition uh, position here with uh, 
uh, having to face Deadman. But, I mean, he put up 19 points. He put up a double-double. Five blocks in this game. So he, he was great, too. For sure. And with that, um, we're going to take our first break and be right back uh, to talk some more about that awesome well, last two Cavs wins, really. So hold on one second. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. And I, I've assured this, you know, 67% Chris podcast that I am operating the record button properly today. So um, <laughs> hopefully we won't have any uh, odd timings and uh, edits like we did last time when I didn't hit the record button. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about that I think is a little bit of a, you know, elephant in the room, you know, a lot of people are like, imagine how good the Cavs would be if they had Colin Sexton right now. And I, my counter is the Cavs are this good because Colin Sexton's not playing. I, I don't know. Agree or disagree, Chris Francis? Well, this is what I was going to say, and, and it piggybacks off your point in the first segment, which is I think because Sexton's usage is no longer available in the starting lineup, that the offense, it seems like the primary objective of the offense now is to really attack the rim with the big guys. You know, finding shots for Allen, Markinen, and Mobley around the basket. And, uh, I think that as a result, um, it's really kind of opening things up on the perimeter. I mean, just look at tonight in uh, the last game against Dallas. Uh, I mean, the Cavs are shooting, uh, 51% from 316 of 31, you know, and honestly, 31 attempts is kind of, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a little bit high, honestly. I think, is it above their season? It might be even above their season average. I don't know, uh, offhand, but it feels that feels correct. But, um, I think that this offense, I think the morphing of the offense post Sexton by having Allen and Marketin and Mobley more involved in the offense, taking more shots has really, um, I think it's opened things up on the perimeter, especially if I think Garland's been a recipient. Uh, I think Love has been a recipient. I think now he's getting his three ball going, uh, and Rubio as well. So, uh, I don't know what if you would you guys take on that is I'll a hundred percent agree with you. I I think the other side of that is a purposeful uh, move away from the mid range by the Cavs. You've seen, I'm just looking at the shot chart. Now there are literally one, two, three, excuse me, six, nine shots outside of the paint or the three-point line. And most of those are <laughs> that is crazy. just in, you know, just on the baseline or just outside the paint or just inside the three-point line. So, it's you know, the old uh, Colin Sexton top of the key three-pointer and the, you know, or what we called them last year uh, – Flob City, where there it's either right. a floater or a lob, right from inside the free throw line. That is a lot of Sexton's game, and that is not their offense right now. And and I, you know, they're taking so many more threes than they took last year uh, versus you know mid range shots and 
part of that is what you talked about. The ball is either in or it's out on the three-point line. And their offense, you know, I, I got to look at some stats to back this up, but it seems so much more efficient this year. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, they were middle, they've been, uh, well, it's been an definitely improved. Uh, it's been, I want to say anywhere from like the, tw- or like low 20s to high teens. Yeah. And I, and I know I'm going to pull up in just a second here that, you know, three point attempts per game has got to be higher. Um, it, it just has to be. So, so give me a second to pull that up. Yeah. But. Well, and while you're pulling that up to uh, Mr. Francis, I'd also be curious to know, like, what the offensive and defensive rating numbers have looked like pre and post uh, the Sexton injury. Um, I mean, I have my own theories about, uh, whether we're better or not without Sexton. Uh, I think it's a very hot take. I'd love to talk about it a bunch, but I do think that um, I, I don't know that their offensive efficiency has actually been higher since he went out. Like I, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's like pretty close, if not having dips a, l- a little bit at first. Um, and I think that's part of what it is. This is a simpler uh, calculus for this offense when you don't have like the score first guard, um, you know, they're, they're running a very, very tight ship on offense without sex. And I do think we see, uh, the benefit from that. But, um, in terms of stats, I don't know if you guys like TPA, uh, it's like NBA math is the site that does it, but it's like a defense, uh, balanced, uh, offensive measurement. Um, and it hates. Oh Colin yeah. Yeah. Sexton. Yeah. This, yeah. It hates Colin Sexton so much. So he's bottom five. Uh, among all fourth-year players this season in uh, in TPA, uh, and that takes into account minutes as well. Remember, so uh, he's a little low on that chart in minutes, obviously because he's missed a lot of the games. Um, but his just straight TPA rating, uh, not even taking into account minutes, is still is still bottom four. And that chart uses like pictures of the players, and I don't even recognize the other three dudes. And I think that really comes down to you know I'm a, I'm a Sexton fan, and I think Sexton is good. I think there's a lot of contention around Sexton on this team for lots of reasons. But this is a criticism I've also levied against Kyrie Irving. So it's not like I'm saying he's bad because obviously Kyrie isn't bad either. But when you are costing the team on defense as well, that plays into the math of what you're contributing on offense. So they did lose scoring with Sexton and they improved a lot on defense. Obviously, they went to Isaac Okoro, who's one of the, you know, arguably uh, one of the best perimeter uh, or the best perimeter defender on the team uh, to go through a whole game. At least we have a lot of guys that are capable of spot perimeter defense, as we've seen, including our bigs. Um, But Sexton is, you know, not, not there. And, you know, that that's a big part of whether or not you can really say that they've been better or, uh, or worse without him. It's still looking at I am. I was trying to get furiously trying to get back to take the mute button off. Um, so it's, oh, you're fine. It, it, we we do truncate silence on this podcast in post, so we'll be okay there. Um, so in you know comparison to this team versus last year, last season the Cavs uh, attempted uh, twenty nine point seven three point attempts per game. Uh, that was, uh, 28th in the league. They were 29th in three pointers made. This season, they are attempting 34.1. 
Um, and they are 20th in the league, which is, a, you know, a big improvement. Um, and they are 22nd in made threes. Um, the interesting thing is the percentages, their three point percentage is identical at 30, uh, 33.6%. Um, <laughs> so they are taking a lot more threes and, or, well, five more a game, really. And then, you know, making them at the same clip. Um, two point shots, they are, you know, about 0.15% higher in terms of efficiency. Um, they are going to the line, um, much less this year, which is really interesting. But I think that is, you know, uh, last year, well, not much less. Last year, they were going uh, to the line uh, 22.4 times a game. This year, it's 19.8 times a game. I would say that's probably a direct correlation of Colin Sexton being out because one of the things that Colin Sexton was good at doing was getting to the line, drawing contact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last year's assists per game were 23.8, which actually was really high. I didn't realize it was that high. This year, it's 24. Um, but you know, it, fr- from the looks of it, things are very similar to last year's team, but obviously the defense is so much better than it was last year that that's really where the big improvement for the Cavs have, have, has come. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, just, uh, checked it's top four in top four in, uh, defensive rating. Yeah. In, 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 and probably yeah. higher after this game. Uh, I think it's including this. Oh, one. okay. Yeah, it's a one hundred four point one. Uh, yeah, and ranked for top. It's a top five defense. Yeah, and yeah, and the solidly. amazing thing about that is that is without you know they've missed some rotation guys. Uh, their their main line guys are playing a lot of minutes, and and they've missed those guys. And when they're fully healthy, I mean, what is that going to look like? That that's going to be really impressive. Uh, especially on offense when you've got, you know, a fully operational Chetty Osman who's been, you know, a revelation off the bench this year, um, really filling up the, the three point shooting duties. And then you've got, uh, uh, who else is out? Dean Wade, uh, has been able to fill in in spot duty as a starter and kind of a bench glue guy. It, it, it or, and, and, you know, we're seeing Markinen start to hit. We're seeing Kevin Love kind of return to the is mean on three-point shooting. I mean, when this team really it, – it feels like they're starting to fire on all cylinders. And then they haven't even played a complete game yet. Like, there's still games – there still feels like one or two big flaws every game. But they're playing <laughs> good enough defense that they're overcoming all those things. It's fantastic. And I think – they kind of sense the. I think they kind of sense this is the time where they can really make a statement. You know, with these tough matchups coming up, I think they got the Bucks, the surging Bucks coming up. Uh, I'm not sure of the the Washington Wizards who are ahead of them and took a close one earlier in the season. Uh, I think uh, I'm not sure who else is on the schedule, but it, it's a string of just ridiculous, ridiculously tough games. Um, yeah, they got they got to go to Chicago. They have to face Utah at home. 
uh, one of the best teams in the league. Uh, Miami will be coming back. Uh, Minnesota, who's been surging. So uh, not, wow, not just got- surging; they're the other really surprising team with how good they are on defense again this year. I mean, oh, there you go. You oh. know, look at Minnesota's defense last year versus this year. It's it's light years different. Looks sounds like Cats back. Well, it's it's not just that. They're running a different scheme. Like, D'Angelo Russell was probably one of the worst defenders in the league last year, and suddenly he's an effective defensive player. So, wow. or, or as Minnesota <laughs> fans, you know, note, uh, trying matters on defense. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, it, it's, it's super fun. It, the other thing that I love is, you know, in years past, we would see when the Cavs would get this team – that lost their starters and, you know, the, the guys they thought they were playing are kind of, the Cavs would lay back and kind of sandbag and then often get burned. We didn't see that tonight. We saw a team that was like, Hey, we got a chance to get a win in Miami for the first time in 12 years. Like, let's go take this team's throat. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. They, I don't even think they let go of the double digit. I don't, did they even let go of the second half? I don't even know if they did. I, I got down to about um, – no, they didn't. No, it, it never went below double digits. Yeah. I mean, what's the last – like, that hasn't happened in years. Yeah. <laughs> Has it? <laughs> no, and, and I think we saw two teams in a row – Maybe a little less uh, tonight than against Dallas, where the team they were playing against was just totally unprepared for how good the Cavs were, how big they were, how good of a defense they played. Um, we still saw the same te- thing of guys thinking they can take Mobley one-on-one and him just shutting them down. Um you know, one of my favorite plays of the game was that multiple effort play where you saw you know, Lori Markinen go for a steal and then he didn't get it. And then Kevin Love kind of like forced uh, Dwayne Dedman into uh, readjusting his shot. And then you saw Jared Allen just come and swat it. And it was like, you know, multiple efforts on defense make this team so hard to score against. Oh, and that's multiple good- seven footers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good place to. to- my return to the the sexton argument briefly well um, um we'll tease that sure. let's tease that oh. and when we get back yes. from the break i want i want to hear it so uh give us uh, give us 30 seconds guys uh listen to a commercial hopefully <laughs> help us pay the bills we'll be right back welcome back to Cavs a podcast i know before the break we teased uh chris lyden talking about uh colin sexton so See, so, you know, jump in, Chris. Yeah, I don't want to be too much end. of a. I don't want to be too much of a drag on. Uh, on, oh on man! Colin here, so let me let me <laughs> let me just start with saying that uh, I do think the offense changed quite a bit, right when he when he left, and they did see a dip in scoring. I think it was a big deal when they like cracked a hundred after a couple games, um, and people were worried about those twenty some points being being absent, right? Um, but the bigs that we have have caught up with that, uh, that slack a little bit. And then Rubio, obviously, um, he hasn't been playing a, a really different role, but 
but I think he's getting some of the usage just looking at the numbers. Like he's picking up some of the usage slack as well. And a lot of that scoring and, and, uh, you know, I can't even say creation, really just scoring that, that Colin generally provides has been there in the bigs. Like we saw it in two different ways. We saw it last game with, um, the pick and roll just working so well between Garland and Allen. And then we saw it tonight in the first quarter where the Cavs took such a lead. Um, we only outscored the heat tonight after the first quarter by 11. So, you know, doing the math real quick here, something like 19 points that we won the first quarter by. Um, and, and we were able to dominate by just being a better team and a longer team in the paint um, on both sides of the ball. And, and, and they could never recover from that because our defense is still, you know, good. And it's only gotten better, uh, without Sexton, uh, in that lineup. So I do think Sexton's good. I would love to bring him back on a sensible contract and try to find a, a different kind of a role for him. But this team is about synergy right now. And it's a simpler and more complete synergy with that big, long front court and the way that we're playing our guards right now. Like even throughout that first quarter, I didn't miss Okoro's offense. I don't think he took a shot in the first quarter. I mean, he went four for five. He didn't attempt a three the entire game. Yeah, he had a nice second quarter where he got some buckets in transition. Yeah, and somebody yeah. ran him off the line and he took a right side pull up, which but we didn't miss, a, we didn't ma- miss. a rare mid-range make for Isaac Okoro. His jumper mm-hmm. looked a little bit better. We can talk about that, too. But either way, we didn't miss his zero offensive contributions, maybe a couple passes uh, in the first quarter, but we certainly benefited from his defense uh, as we dominated uh, what I'll call a decent team with, with this uh, current injury situation uh, without him. So it's a a great point. I want to piggyback something off of Chris with what Chris is saying. And I think, I think the correlation I want to say is Laurie Markkinen, but the last five games, uh, the Cavs have scored 112, 115, 105, 114, 111. So they're on a bit of a heater after, as as Chris mentioned, they were uh, failing to break 100 for God knows. I mean, it was, it might have been like something like five, six games in a row. Uh, they came right back around and now have scored uh, triple digits in, in six games, five, six games in a row. And I think it's been uh, love and marketing that have been back and kind of making that happen well i i don't even think it's love and marketing i bet you if you went and looked you would have five different leading scores across that time you would have love marketing garland and uh alan maybe four different leading scores and alan all probably led scoring on at least one of those games i mean it's really interesting that you know, you're getting your baseline score from Garland and Allen, and then sometimes you get some bonus scoring from them. And then you have, it feels like you have an X factor every game where either, you know, Rubio gets hot or Markinen gets hot or Kevin Love gets hot. Um, or, you know, before that it was Chetty Osman. And that's really interesting to see, you know, what that's going to look like when, you know, they're all fully healthy, knock on wood, hoping it comes soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it looks like it's interesting you brought that up, uh, and you nailed the two guys that are at the head of it. Uh, the past of the past five games, um, Garland has led the team in scoring twice. Allen has led this team in scoring twice and love once. Oh, okay. Uh, and then tonight. I guess Markinen was probably number two in Dallas when he had that 20, 21 yep. points. Or- oh, right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Allen had a career high. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, take a bow, Allen. All star Allen. Wow. Oh, and, and the amazing thing is, is the, the efficiency with which he's doing it. I mean, he's always been a high field goal percentage guy. Like to me, like he needs to be taking more shots. Like the amount of the, the scoring that he gets for as little shooting as he does. I mean, he's so hard to guard because of that. Allen was, uh, Allen was in the dunker spot to get, catch a lob. I think this was in the second quarter. And the lob pass came a little bit faster than he was anticipating. I think he was getting held a little bit, you know, like uh, by the defender. It was probably Deadman at the time. And he went up and took the ball off the side of the backboard. And, you know, half over halfway up the backboard and put it through the hoop. And and I didn't know that that was possible, and and you know we we saw him play really well before his concussion last season, and and pretty well afterwards. But I mean that that guy is on a mission right now. Yeah, and, and the amazing thing is, is there's so many things he can add to his game. I mean, I I honestly think they don't post him up enough. Although in today's NBA, it's if you don't have weak side shooters. Uh, which when they put Okoro in that weak side, they don't. Um, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's really hard to execute a post entry pass, um, because you can basically just double team the post without the ball. Um, and, and hack the dude on while they're down there. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and, and that's one reason where having Evan Mobley at the elbow helps so much because when you get Evan Mobley at the elbow, well, you've got to come out on him. And then, you know, it's really hard in the NBA to, you know, have three guys against two guys in the post and and not get the ball to at least one decent shooter. Um, and they were doing that sort of horn, like horns, you know, that you, they called a couple different things, but like the horns rub or like, you know, like operating out of floppy the or. Yeah. yeah, because the and the pick and roll. And this is something interesting that I wrote down, too, is just like they were defending the pick and roll pretty well, I thought, through a lot yeah. of the game and 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 trying to take that away. The Cavs really pulled away when they were able to capitalize on perimeter shooting um, yeah. against a, a bit of a crowded lane. But that was big to see because the last big win we saw, the last game, when Allen had that uh, career game, you know, we were running a pick and roll that was unstoppable. The, the team couldn't handle it. This team made an adjustment to try to handle that exact thing. And the Cavs still were able to pull it off. And I, yeah, I and, and part of it was, you know, getting the ball to Kevin Love and Evan Mobley out at the elbow and out at the wings. Having where, a five for six shooter helps a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, that also <laughs> exactly. is a big deal. You know, and, and yeah, how about Kevin Love tonight? Just uh, like you said, turning back the clock. And this is kind of the thing that everybody was like, boy, if this team can start hitting shots, they're going to be really hard to beat. And that's what we're seeing. Exactly. Know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that was the design of getting Larry Market in, uh, keeping Kevin Love, uh, you know, having, bringing him off the bench, you know, it's, um, having Garland now launch, uh, more off the dribble threes, you know, and also playing the luxury now of having Rubio is that you could play Garland off ball. They've been able to get some clean looks for Garland for three, you know, by using him off ball a la Steph Curry. So, um, you know, that was a great stat you brought up earlier. So they're shooting more threes. And, you know, I think it's uh, a lot of it has to do with bringing in Rubio uh, and his passing abilities. 
his ability to see the whole court in the half court and finding open shooters. Well, and, and I also think it speaks to Rubio being a willing three-point shooter. Like, that wasn't yeah. Rubio's yeah. game in the past. No, that's absolutely true. Right, right. And even with the shooting, you know, lagging, I think they're up now. Obviously, this was a great perimeter shooting game. I'm looking at the shot charts here, and they did a, you know, absolutely great job. But in general, the team is not quite there yet with three point shooting. You know, we were hoping to get that yeah. from Windler. That's a whole other story. Um, I mean, they played an eight man rotation this game uh, until <laughs> garbage time, right? Like they played eight because Windler just hasn't been taking the shots that have been left open to him. But I digress. Like, either way, we're seeing, you know, gravity has been such a big buzzword in the NBA for a long time now. Um, but we're seeing length as a facsimile for what uh, gravity can give you. And we're seeing that on both sides of the ball. But especially on offense with this Cavs team, that length, like Mobley's ability to cover a huge amount of ground in two steps um, or pass so quickly from such a high point from the elbow that that it's just not going to be intercepted by anybody. Um, you know, that length is, you know, enables them to spread the ball around almost to the same degree that gravity does. Because gravity is always the game of pulling people out so that you can penetrate, right? Like that's that shooter's gravity that like you have to respect people's shots. But when you have length, you know, and you can cover enough ground, I think that that can, that can be a facsimile for it. And I think we're seeing that a lot. Uh, with this team right now. Well, and, and the other thing that that length gives you is, uh, you know, just wider catch radiuses. You know, you can throw a pass. You can throw these lobs to Jared <laughs> Allen that would not be possible to most, you know, 99% of the other players in the NBA. Yeah, the court the court is literally smaller, which is the same yeah. effect as, as gravity in the first place. Yeah, and and you're I, I've I'm seeing bad passes or even intentionally bad passes to just get around the traditional passing lane going out to a guy like Laurie Markinen or Kevin Love or um you know, even Okoro I saw one tonight where they throw him threw him a pass where he basically had to peel off a guy to you know, get the pass. And and one of the things that we're also seeing is Ricky Rubio has a, I got to look at some advanced stats, but I really feel like the addition of Rubio and especially now that love is back and healthy and throwing out lab passes, we're seeing the vision that JB Bickerstaff had at the beginning of the season for the Cavs to play faster on offense and get into their sets more quickly. Um, the Cavs scoring in transition has gotten so much better in the last, you know, three, four games since Love has returned. I mean, we saw four full court alley oop against the Mavs. Yeah. How oh, cool to was Garland. That? Yeah, yeah, that was freaking amazing. No, you're absolutely right. The, I mean, and that was a great callback. Uh, you know, JB Bickerstaff was saying at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, in the offseason, uh, about how their plan with Love was Love was a key to unlocking the transition offense and picking up the pace on offense. And we're seeing real-time, you know, payoff uh, with respect to that and their plan for him. Also, his defensive rebounding uh, can't be understated. Uh, you know, he's coming in and really helped. I mean, 
we're on a good little streak here of winning the rebound battle. And uh, there's no question in my mind that one of the greatest defensive rebounders in the NBA history, you know, Kevin Love, is contributing uh, positively to that end. Yeah, and it, and it's not just Love, it's all three guys. And the other thing that happens mm-hmm. is when you don't have to send all five of your players to the defensive glass, well, then all of a sudden you've got two guys that are able to run out on on offense, and it just helps your pace so much. Um, and we, we're seeing outlet after outlet after outlet around that. And it's not just Love throwing those outlet passes. I mean, I don't think anybody else throws them as well as he does, but – you know, you're seeing Allen throw those quick outlets. You're seeing Mobley. I, a guy, I hope Mobley's taking notes, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, you know he is. You know he is. By the way, uh, Mobley for Defensive Player of the Year, I'm hearing well, some conversations. I, well, I, I think that is probably um, something we should talk about in the next section or the segment. But, okay. you know, let's just go. let's just go through the box score of this game for blocks for the Cavaliers. I mean, <laughs> how impressive is that? So um, we had 14 blocks. Uh, we got to go pretty far in the Wayback Machine. I, I got to think that it's sometime with like LeBron and Z when the Cavs had a 14-block game. Um, we had Evan Mobley with four blocks tonight. We had Jared Allen with five blocks. Isaac Okoro with a block, uh, Kevin Love with a block, Lamar Stevens with two blocks. And then one of my favorite quotes from the live thread tonight, uh, a total eclipse of the sun, Ed Davis block. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know what that means. I just think it, it means it's so rare anymore for his age. But uh, he awesome, awesome just defense from everybody. It, it, the Cavs have really changed their identity almost in a season, and it, it's really amazing. Immediately, thing really quick before we go to break. Uh, just looking at uh, NBA stats, uh, NBA.com slash stats. There's always a you know tonight's leaders or today's leaders of uh you know for individual players with points, all that good stuff. There's not a lot of Cavs on there generally. Evan Mobley made uh, blocks up, but looking at tonight's leaders by the teams that played. So that's all the games played so far today. The Cavs are top five in rebounds, top five in assists, number one in blocks, uh, top five in field goal percentage, top five in three-pointers made, uh, top five in three-point percentage, and uh, number one, again, in, in free throw percentage. Um, that's an excellent... NBA performance. I don't care. Well, and that's not even random. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about running a three seven footer lineup to start the game that shoots seventy that shoots ninety one percent from the free throw line for a game. What is that about? That (laughs) what a luxury! It's huge. It's huge. It's not even a luxury. It's like an outlier. It, It might be unique. Yeah, it's super super weird. Like I gave. And this is probably a question for the next segment, so I'll save it, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs a Podcast. So, uh, Mr. Francis, <laughs> I feel like this is like Reservoir Dog. We were, like, calling everybody <laughs> Mr. because we have <laughs> – I love it. I actually – it's awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, who you were talking about Evan Mobley, defensive player of the year. Yep, yep. Go. You know, just well here we go. Here we go. We got as we said as we mentioned before, it's Cavs are a top five defense. Evan Mobley right now stands number one in the NBA in defensive EPM uh, among starters in the NBA, higher than Draymond Green, higher than uh, Gary, or I don't know if it's, no, Gary Payton Jr. doesn't start. So uh, higher than Draymond Green, though, higher than uh, Giannis. We have, uh, um, I'm, I believe he's up near the top in blocks per game. I believe uh, he is averaging over a steal per game, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just shooting off the top of my head. So sorry uh, if I got those stats wrong. But, uh, you know, I think uh, and the, also Evan Mobley ranks highest in uh, drip rating, which is another uh, catch-all uh, plus-minus metric. So, I mean... I, I think Mo- he also leads the league in contested shots per game. Contested, he doesn't lead in total because of the time he's missed, but per right. game... He's yep. far and away the leader. So there's the case. Uh, the question to you guys is how? I mean, this is this sh- should this be a thing? Do you think it's possible? I don't. You know, I'm I'm just saying it's. You know, why not, uh, Mister Green? <laughs> Chris season, Lydon. <laughs> if the season ended today, then yes. And here's a stat that by itself, and those were all that was great work there, but. By itself, this stat just uh, seals the deal for me. Uh, Joe Gabriel uh, from uh, the Cavs uh, pointed this out on Twitter earlier. Evan Mobley has 34 blocks and 34 fouls this season. Okay, that is amazing. (laughs) Yes, that's a one-to-one ratio. And I haven't, I haven't like found a a neat place for this on any of the stats uh, websites that I, that I frequent, but that's a one-to-one ratio, and that's massive. In the year of our Lord, 2021, and there have been some changes to the way that they're officiating uh, down low, but I don't think that's the case. Watching this guy play since high school, I don't think that's the case. Like he's just he's he's 34 fouls and 34 blocks. That's that's an immense, immense defensive performance for a rookie, let alone a rookie. Just you know, comparing to last year, since I still got those pages up. The Cavs last year, 18.2 fouls a game. Uh, one of the better things they did defensively, although, you know, I would argue that there is such thing as fouling too little. Um, but the amazing thing is, is the Cavs are at 16.5 this year. They are number two in fouls per game, which is amazing given that, that – Number two is the least amount of fouls. Let me put it that way. Um, amazing that they are a top, would you say, four defense with only being second in the league in foul rate. That yep. That is unbelievable. Okay. And, and I'll be honest, they actually get more fouls called them on them than they probably deserve at times. Um, you know, we saw the absolute chicanery against Phoenix – that was was w- probably one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen in terms of just, you know, the officiating taking one team completely out of the game in terms of the fouls on Darius Garland. 
But, I mean, it's amazing yep. the way that they are guarding teams. The perimeter defenders, and, you know, Ben Worth uh, touched on this in the email thread a, a little. Refs haven't figured out how to officiate Darius, Darius Garland. And he picks up a lot of fouls because he's guarding guys so close that they don't know how to deal with it. But he's not fouling a lot. He's getting called for a lot of phantom fouls. He's getting called for a lot of the fouls that Okoro got called for last year and still kind of does it with certain refs in the league. Um, but Okoro seems to be getting a little more of a leash, especially with the, you know, the trim down on, uh, you know, away from the basket calls and, you know, the loosening up of those defensive rules. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing the Cavs defense. And like you said, the way Evan Mobley is playing defense without fouling. So let, let's, let's look at, again at this, uh, 34, 34 stat real quick. Just doing some back of the napkin math and bear with me here. But if you're talking 34 blocks, if you're going to, if you're going to apply the average rate of three point shooting in the league, and the average rate of makes for two-pointers in the paint and three-pointers, which are obviously from the perimeter, uh, 34 blocks are preventing on average. That's 30 points. That's that's probably going to prevent about 30 points from being scored. 34 fouls, if you, again, count uh, average, like league average foul shooting, and then you take away uh, the potential for the fouls to, to, you know, not be like non-shooting fouls. I'm assuming that most of these are, are shooting fouls either way. You're getting closer to like 16 to 18 points that a team is going to get off of your 34 fouls in a game. So you're, you're plus there, like you're plus 14 points between those blocks and fouls, which is the, you know, that's the difference between two or three of these wins and losses that we've had just in the last couple games. Yeah, and I would argue that, you know, a little bit uh, th- those stats may be skewed a little bit more against Evan Mobley than they are because Evan Mobley's uh, blocks seem to lead to a lot of positive outcomes on offense because he does keep the ball yes. in play so much. And the other side of that is I'm, I'm not sure I've seen Evan Mobley's most Evan Mobley's fouls to me seem to come on offense or he, he doesn't seem to commit a ton of shooting fouls is what I'm saying. Yeah, um, exactly. You're absolutely right. That you know, could be a and, much bigger swing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's pretty impressive. Um, so, so we've got our, you know, I think we know who the defensive player of the year for the Cavs is so far. <laughs> um, who, which is amazing on a team with Jared Allen, who's also playing really, really good defense. Um, who do you think is the Cavs MVP right now? Chris Lydon? Jared Allen. Um, I think it's Jared Allen. I mean, I, I would almost want to say Garland. Um, there are a lot of important pieces that are moving in unison here. But I think Jared Allen is the anchor of this team on offense and defense, as good as Moley has been. Um, I think Jared Allen is the, um, the straw that stirs the drink. Um, and, and I'm gonna, I'll put it in forward, uh, as MVP. Nice. Uh, what about, uh, okay. Next question with that. And, and I'll let, uh, you know, Mr. Black follow up on that. Um, <laughs> Chris Lydon, you know, follow up. Uh, should Jared Allen be an all star? It's a crowded position, right? Um, well, one less crowded after today, it <laughs> appears. Oh, geez. Unfortunately, yeah, it's true. But no, it's, it's, 
it's close. It's really close. You could ever, you know, if this continues, if this kind of level of play from him continues, then he will be absolutely in the national conversation. And we're already seeing it. Like, I don't know. I, I spend too much time on Twitter and I, I've, I've been seeing more and more attention paid to this team. And the more eyes that are on this team, which unfortunately, you know, we can talk about how it's hard to, to watch this team in Cleveland, in Ohio, and then obviously on the national stage, which hurts things like, you know, it hurts things like getting onto an all-star team. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, 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 he's right there. He's right there. Mr. Black. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be an injustice if he's not considered an all-star. Um, I think he's on star level right now. Um, will he sustain it? I don't know, but uh, that remains to be seen. You know, he's a young guy, and young guys can become inconsistent. But, you know, it really, you know, there was a great little uh, vignette in the last game about Jared Allen, about what he worked on in the offseason. And there was two things that he identified in his game that he worked on, which was his post game. And his elbow drive game, um, which is, uh, you know, something that we've, uh, something that we saw in the Dallas game that he used to great effect and something, uh, you know, I think you mentioned they could probably stand to go to the post up a little more, especially against the switch heavy teams. You know, if they're going to switch that pick and roll with Garland and Allen, you know, give him the ball in the post or the elbow and let him cook, you know, so. Well, well, Chris, who do you think there's to take his place as an all-star? I'm sorry? As an all-star? I'm sorry? sorry, I lagged there. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, like as an all-star, like who, who do we th- who do you think he's he's competing with? My my knowledge of the rest of the league is always bad. I don't, I don't watch uh, it. Well, you know, we have Sabonis in Indy, who last night posted. One of the first uh, 25, I think the first 25 point, 25 rebound triple double in like a ridiculous amount of time. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, no, it was a monster what? game. Yeah, I mean, that's just a monster game. Uh, you know, we had Bam Adebayo, who was a scratch tonight because I believe he had a, a broken thumb. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, ulnar, or I think it was a torn ulnar limit, ligament. Of his, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes my hand hurt just thinking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely needed surgery is what they said. So, they, uh, six, uh, six weeks out, four to six weeks. You know, we got to say Giannis is a lock. Um, you know, who are some of the other guys? It, it's hard as a center, too, because there's not a dedicated center position anymore. Um, you know, oh, either I didn't realize that. Yeah, you have Embiid, Porzingis, you have Giannis, who could technically. No, you don't have Porzingis because he's in the West. Um, you have Giannis, who could technically qualify as a, you know, a center. You have, um, oh, who else do you have? You have, uh, Vucevic, Vucevic, Uh, you have, you know, all the forwards that are in the West. Um, You have uh, Time Lord in Boston. He'll he'll get a lot of votes because Boston fans, you know, vote for their guys a lot. Yeah. 
But to me, the problem is he's going to be competing against a lot of forwards in the East. But, you know. That's a good point. There you go. You know, to me, he's he's absolutely one of the best. And so I'm on dunks and threes right now looking at who has the best estimated plus minus. And I'm going to pull up Jared Allen. Jared Allen. Top five, I think. EPM is plus three. No, he's not top five, is he? No. Uh, top five centers? Top five centers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. For, yeah. for yeah. position. And he's, yes. yeah, sorry. you know, still in the top 25, I believe. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, easily. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, to me, it's it's kind of a no-brainer that he should be there. But whether he will – I mean, it, it's really hard to look at him, especially with the struggles of the Sixers, um, and say that he's not an all-star after Joel Embiid, especially if Embiid's hurt – or uh, Adebayo's hurt. But, yep. you know, there's a lot, of, it, lot of good forwards, and that that's going to hurt him a little. But the Cavs keep winning. Uh, he will get named to the all-star game. And – the other guy that is a dark horse is, you know, Darius Garland and and Evan Mobley, honestly. If Evan Mobley keeps putting up five block games and, you know, is a real <laughs> defensive player of the year candidate, it's not out of the question that he could be a rookie all-star. Oh, man. That would be, wouldn't that be something? Oh, I, I mean, I, I almost think he'd have to get voted in, and, and I don't know if the Cavs have enough glitz for that. But Oh, no, no, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're trying. I mean, we're doing our part, so. Yeah, I would say the other guy he probably has competition against is um, Clint Capella, too. Oh, um, right, right. So let's hear, uh, let's hear your guys' uh, takes on the MVP for the team. Uh, MVP uh, for the I don't know. team. I, I, I was, like, I was it's, Allen, but yeah, it's super weird because this team, it feels like they don't have an MVP. The sum of their parts are kind of greater than any, any one person's into it. Like, I, I don't think Allen is nearly as good if he doesn't have Mobley with him, uh, at least defensively. I mean, obviously oh, offensively. Yeah, it's, it's synergy. And then, you know, Darius Garland to me is probably the MVP just given that there's no – like the Cavs can still win games consistently if Allen or Mobley is out for a game. I have a hard time thinking the Cavs can win consistently if Darius Garland's not playing for them. Uh, yeah, especially I think that's a good way down. to frame it. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting way to frame it. I like that. Because it, there's player. just no replacement for him on the team. Yeah, it's best player versus most valuable. I think that's yeah. tough. Like, yeah. if we didn't have Allen, you know, if you have Hardenstein as our <laughs> starting center, yeah. like, I'm not sure that, that Garland can pull that off. Garland is looking like the best NBA player on this team right now, and he should enjoy it while it lasts, by the way, because Mobley's coming for him. Very yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But, but, I mean, that's the beauty of it, is it doesn't feel like it's a... Well, like, A... Garland doesn't seem like a player that needs to score 35 and dominate the ball every time down the court. And Mobley doesn't seem like he cares at all as long as they win. You know, he feels wired very differently than a lot of traditional NBA players. And I just absolutely love it. Yeah, well, that was going to be my MVP pick is the Mobley. I mean, top 50 in EPM as a rookie is, I mean, that's generational. You know, like no, there hasn't been a guy since probably Luca that's done that. Yeah, no, so, I mean, I mean, to me, I said today, 
Like he is on the level of rookie of Luka Doncic. The last rookies we had that played at this level were Doncic, uh, Kevin Durant, and um, Tim Duncan. Um, yeah. I, I don't even think LeBron played – well, and, and maybe LeBron. Like yeah. those four guys. Oh, yeah. Of course. Those four <laughs> guys. <on>. Well, <laughs> uh, we have – oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say we have three different MVPs for the team, and I don't disagree with any of them. <laughs> yeah, we just super <laughs> – <laughs> so um in terms of any other guys getting you know postseason consideration i you know i i would have a hard time thinking evan mobley doesn't get rookie of the year although you know the guy in toronto oh god what's his yeah, name scotty barnes scotty yeah. barnes because his scoring is ticking up i i think his scoring is higher w- would help but if the Cavs keep winning it's going to be mobley um mm-hmm. And and I actually think that if Mobley slides a little and Cade Cunningham keeps coming on, he could start being part of the conversation because he feels like he's playing better every game, which for a guy who didn't have a preseason, you know, makes sense with as good as he is. Oh, I I didn't didn't realize he didn't play in the preseason. Um, He was hurt right before. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, did either of you guys have uh did either of you guys have Mobley and Scotty Barnes at the top of your draft board for the Cavs this offseason? Because I know I did. I feel uh, like a lot of people I did, we talked about that a lot. Uh I went back and forth and then, you know, I you know, I had this conversation a couple times. Like I didn't think that Houston would be dumb enough to pass on Evan Mobley. Like I just yeah. didn't think he'd be there. And Jalen Green, I'm like, you literally went and got a guy who was good for a half dozen games in the G League? That was the guy you got? Like, to me, this just makes no sense. It's um, recency bias and it's exposure. Yeah. And it's also because the Rockets are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> well, also. shout out. Actually, I think we were pretty good uh, in our calls about the the draft. Uh, you got to give a shout out yeah. to Eli. You know, Scotty yeah. Barnes was his boy. So. Yeah, he was. Yep, that's right, Eli. And he, he talked about it on the pod. Yeah, and, I'm trying uh, to think. Convinced if, me. Yeah, I, I didn't really have a number two after Mobley. Um, it, or if I did, I can't even remember who it was. Oh, I think oh, you I, had Giddy. Giddy. I, I think you giddy. were Giddy. <laughs> yeah, which, which is which, a good one. I like Giddy too. Yeah, I like Giddy good. too, but boy, the guy, you know, the shooting's got to come around for him. If um, we had dropped, if we had dropped into seven, eight range, which is what I thought we would do, then I wanted us to get Giddy there. Yeah, yeah he reminds me of right now is for me, uh, he reminds me of a Rubio, Scotty Barnes. Right yeah, Ruby, he's almost like a taller Rubio, that <laughs> shooting included. Um, exactly. Yeah, and now that we're talking about it, I got to go pull up uh, what Evan Moby's uh, three-point percentage so far is because his three-point shooting is suddenly buttery. I think he's like 50% over the last some odd attempts. Is yeah, that I, I mean, he's recently? just he's he's so good. consistent. Uh, his his three points. Well, yeah, the, this one isn't up to date, but he's shooting before tonight's game. He was thirty two percent on the season. Um, it's not bad. No, it's 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 not bad at all, and it it's just getting better. He was two or three again tonight, um, and his jump shot just looks better and better. Um, 
And, it's and, legit. And one thing that I really like, and I touched this a little in the live thread, he does not seem to press when he misses. Like, the, he just still kind of lets the game come to him. He doesn't, you know, press or get down or you know, kind of get on himself. It's just like, okay, what's there in the course of the game? I'm going to take that shot and I'm not going to worry about it too much or feel like I got to, you know, take the whole team on my back, uh, which is something I really like. That's what the superstars have. Yeah. It's the next play mentality. Yeah. I think he's 34.3%. I think that's the outdated percentage. Wow. Are you serious? Dang. I mean, that's what NBA.com. If, yeah. if I told you after 21 games, Evan Mobley was going to be shooting 34%, or no, I guess it's 22 games now, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and, and how many has he played? He's only played, what, 16 of those? 17, I think. 17 of those? Like, if I told you he was going to be 34% after 17 games, You'd be pretty happy with that at the beginning. Think, of the we season, would, right? uh, yeah. No one would not take that <laughs> on around his, his two minutes. attempts per game. Yeah, his minutes have come down a little bit too. That was an early season concern. Uh, he's averaging thirty three point seven minutes now. I, I think somebody went and talked to JB Bickerstaff <laughs> and said, "Okay, we want to have this guy on our team for the next 10, 15 years." Don't burn him out. The first same conversation. Games. Same conversation I have with my kids constantly about their new toys. Ah. <laughs> nice, <laughs> got him. Yeah, you got. Don't burn out that Evan Mobley yeah. bobblehead in your first. You know, you can't. You can't be bobbling that head forty-five minutes a night. <laughs> Battery, you batteries back don't down. grow on trees. Exactly. Exactly. Man, this has been a fun one. So when we get back, uh, we did go a little over there. Um, we're going to talk about what do we think the Cavs need to do as their next move and a little bit about Kobe Altman. So uh, stay tuned. You. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. You know, one of the things that uh, Chris Francis and I were just talking about is I'm watching the Kings beating the Clippers here is – you know, Isaiah Hartenstein, where did you say he was ranked right now? I think he's eighth in the NBA in EPM. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Like, Top ten. Yeah. yeah, and the other side of that is you're, he was your solution to the, the Clippers rebounding problem, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to the, shout out to the Clipper fans out there. I, you know, I know some of them well. And uh, they, I was the one that convinced him Hardenstein was the answer. And it's caught like wildfire in Clipperland, I'm telling you. <laughs> hard Rock, Hard Rock uh, lives out in uh, wherever the heck they are, L.A. <laughs> L.A., wherever they are, you know, only, only the biggest <laughs> metropolitan area in America. <laughs> it was a sneak diss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my counter is that can he even stay on the floor with his foul rate? Right. Yeah. But he is, he's only averaging 2.4 fouls a game. Which hey, are you Lower kidding? than his Cavs numbers. Wow. You know, he's benefiting a lot from the, from the call changes for sure. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I didn't think about that. You're absolutely right, Chris. But that being said, that still means you can't play him past 30 minutes a night. Or no, you're right. You, you, you are right. Because that's just in 15 minutes a game. So that's true. You, you, 
4.8 fouls per game, the variance there means you're going to foul out of a lot of games. But, you know, I'm happy to see it for him. And, you know, there's a lot of people that were Cavs fans that were like, why are the Cavs keeping this guy or not hanging on to this guy both when, you know, nobody was signing him in in the offseason and the other side being, you know, why they even let him walk to begin with. Um or renounce his restricted free agency rights. Um, and of course, you know, I think his agent would have preferred he opt in. He would have got more money, but maybe long-term this is a better fit for him. Um, but it brings us to the question, has Kobe Altman been lucky or good uh, in putting together this Cavs, this very unconventional Cavs roster at, at, when you look around the NBA? Good. I think good. Okay, give me give me your reason. <laughs> My reason is um, that it's. I mean, it could like. Okay, so the argument for Lucky is that Mobley falls into their lap, and he just happens to be the cornerstone of an entirely new and fairly radical offensive system, right? With a defense that's also ready to go with a guy like that on the floor. <laughs> ready to and, go, meaning possibly the best defensive player in the NBA. <laughs> yes. And and then and, and, and put exactly. it, putting us putting us in top five in, in some metrics on defense through a quarter of the season. Now that's possible, but I think it's more likely that they began building around who they thought they could get uh with Mobley when they started making some moves in the in the the, the previous offseason. And, and so I think that they were there's a larger philosophy of how to put this team together that they were already embracing before the Mobley pick with probably some good Intel that they thought they could land Mobley. Uh, but either way, like I think that that's, that that's a strategy that has been employed that Mobley makes a huge amount of sense with, but wasn't necessarily, Oh, we got Mobley. Now we're going to start doing this stuff, right? Oh, let's put Markin into the three. They signed Markin in. I think they already had this idea in mind when they did it. We saw the seeds of this last year when the Cavs were running this two big man lineup with uh, Dr- Andre Drummond and you know Larry Nance, and then they also had Kevin Love in there. And we saw at times it was really effective. I mean, I I think early on last season uh, we saw you know Love and Drummond look like co co defensive MVPs, um, or not Love and Drummond, uh, Nance and Drummond, and then. You know, and I still kind of argue that, you know, Nansa at the three on this team, the defense would be even more amazing than it is right now. The other side of that being, you know, Nance isn't nearly the willing shooter that uh, Laurie Markinen is. And, and I think that it's helping the Cavs offense uh, a, a lot. But, uh, you know, that philosophy was there and they really kind of talked about how you could play these two smaller guards if you have you know, a bigger front court. And we've kind of seen the way the Cavs were building this. And, you know, this Mobley, Jared Allen thing definitely is a continuation of that. I also say that the Cavs have had a couple of the outlier moves and outlier transactions that you need to really be a great NBA team. Um, Things have to fall in your lap a little bit, but you also have to, you know, make your own luck. Jared Allen trade was just absolute home run, you know, from a 
what you got versus what you gave up. And again, thank you, Houston. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, R.I.P. Tillman for Titta. Yeah, I mean, it, it, either you guys disagree with that on Jared Allen? Just oh no, absolutely. I mean, no, there's no way. I mean, with Jared Allen, I think what's underrated about him in uh, you know the coaches are certainly willing to talk about it is his unselfishness as a big man, you know, and it, and especially in stark contrast to Drummond, on you know whom I love still, you know, I'm a I'm a Drummond fan. Don't get me wrong here, but with with Allen, you could just tell. He is very, he's a very selfless player. He sets, he's a willing screen setter. He sets great screens. He's willing to be physical. He's willing to do the dirty work. He's willing to make the extra effort. And, uh, you know, and, uh, JB Bickerstaff talks about how that's the way he shows leadership to the team is through his unselfish play and through his effort on the court. Um, he was really leading the team and leading the young guys uh, in showing them the way to how, how to play winning basketball. And so, uh, you know, um, my God. Uh, and, and it's all because I guess it was because the Houston owner didn't want to pay Allen, right? He didn't want to pay what it would cost to keep him. So. <laughs> and yeah, he wanted and he a get... star, so he went and got um... – Oh, who, who, Oladipo, Oladipo, who just, you know, has just fallen off the turnip truck of, of NBA usability in the, have in the last two seasons. I mean, it's just crazy. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I I think you can give, uh, the front office and Kobe in general a little bit of credit for that Allen trade as well, because I think there is such a thing. We don't see a lot of it, uh, as fans, but. There is such a thing as getting into the good graces of other GMs and of players and of their agents. And the Cavs have shown that pretty consistently over the last few years. Um, and I think that that kind of pays off when you get into those situations where maybe there's another third team that could make it work. But those teams or those agents are more comfortable working with the Cavaliers. And uh, it, that could be part of it. It's hard to know, but yeah, I, I think that's a hundred percent true. And I think these moves that you've seen, like you know, agents like where they let Hartenstein go because he wanted to go explore the market, or they moved uh, clearly, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. to a situation that would be ideal for him, and really just punted on any value of that pick. Um, because it was the right thing to do. And, you know, the Jared Allen trade happened before the KPJ trade. And, and I made a mistake of being drunk and thinking one happened before the other on Twitter the other day. And, and people <laughs> call me out on it. But, um, but still, I, I think, I think there's a lot of that. And, you know, it's the opposite of the Danny Ainge scenario where you always have to win the trade. And mm-hmm. I, I think you become someone that no one might, you know, there's this game called Bonanza, um, and it is a bean farming game. And one of the points of, cause Bonn is the German word for bean. And, uh, one of the points of the game is that you are trading beans of different values for each other to build sets. And there's a lot of trading that goes on. And, uh, one of the things I absolutely love about the game is that little kids are really good at it, especially kids from like nine to like, 
you know, 14 or, you know, 8 to 13 or whatever, because people like kids a lot more than they like adults. And they're a lot more willing to trade with them <laughs> because they feel like, hey, this kid isn't going to try and screw me every time I trade. And so my my 12-year-old, my soon-to-be 12-year-old, is ridiculously good at this game because she always is nice, always willing to trade with people, always be like, well, if you give me that now, I'll do something nice for you later. <laughs> and she always like keeps track of, I'm going to do this nice for you later. And I feel like, you know, NBA GM is probably a little bit like that. <laughs> build a reputation of being a Daryl Morey or a Danny Ainge, people don't want to deal with you anymore. You Absolutely. Know? You know, I think Sam Presti is a huge reason why – the Thunder have, you know, added so much talent over the years and, and been successful in their, you know, short-lived NBA career since absconding from uh, Seattle is because he is willing to work with those guys. You know, he put Paul George and Russell Westbrook in good situations when they left the town. He didn't hose them. You know, same things with James Harden in Houston. You know, and you see... In Philadelphia right now, Maury and Rich Paul have an absolute mess on their hands with what to do with Ben Simmons and the entire thing because the whole league has moved on at this point. It, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I think for me, it's uh, – this offseason was huge. I mean, if you think about the Rubio acquisition, not trading the pick to take Mobley, you know, because, you know, everybody loves to rewrite history. But like, you know, the top three, you know, there was, you know, there was a, I think there were discussions that were being had, at least reportedly, you know, about possibly any of those, all three of those trying to swap trade, you know, swap between each other. Um, and so, uh, Alban help firm. Uh, I think also uh, the, you know, obviously if Allen sustains his play, that contract now looks like a major win for Kobe Altman in terms of value. Uh, also not paying, uh, not overpaying in my opinion for Colin Sexton looks like another stroke of genius. So uh you know, this offseason, it's funny. Uh, there was very little confidence I had in Kobe Allman in the front office uh, up to, you know, all the way through the offseason besides Mobley and Rubio. You know, I, I was like, okay, well, we can work with that, especially with Mobley. Um, and uh, and that's the, that's the knee-jerk reaction is to kind of just say, well, Allman got lucky because Mobley fell into his lap. Well... You know, at least, you know, with Mobley falling into his lab, at least he's not screwing it up. You know what I mean? Uh, you, that's the next step of the, that's the next step or the next danger, right? Is that you don't fortify your star player in Mobley with the right pieces around him. But so far, so good. Uh, you know, in this season, uh, the results are paying off in spades. So, you know, well, that's and, off. And the other side it. of that being you don't outthink yourself either. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I a hundred percent think Houston totally outthought themselves. I mean, I, I can't blame, you know, Detroit for taking Cade Cunningham. And, and I think he's going to be a very good player for a long time. He was the most surefire prospect in that draft, uh, at, at, at least without the benefit of hindsight. 
But, you know, I, I've always been a proponent of don't outthink yourself. <laughs> you know, take the easy wins that are in front of you and and don't look it's, at them with a side eye. That's a, absolutely, that's a great point. And it's what's ironic. And it's what adds another layer of irony to your point there is that supposedly, you know, I'm, this is hearsay from what I've heard other smarter people than me say is that Houston spent a lot of their recent time, I guess, uh, within their organization hiring from all over across the country analytics experts. Like basically, apparently, uh, the organization made a concerted effort to hire a whole bunch of data nerds, uh, you know, and analysts and, uh, you know, uh, bring in an analytics team. And what's ironic is that Mobley was the analytics guy. In the last draft, if like if, if you were basing your board on who was the most impactful metric guys uh, at the top of the board, it was Evan Mobley, and it wasn't even close. Like he put up a BPM that wasn't uh, seen since Anthony Davis at UK uh, in college. So it's it's ironic that they passed on the guy after hiring all these people to help them identify talent that they passed on the guy that the numbers say to take. <laughs> that, that is interesting. Um, I will also, you know, kind of counter the other thing that Kobe Altman has done. And I think, you know, I a hundred percent said it at the time and I still believe it, you know, taking two, six, one point guards was a tanking strategy. And <laughs> I, I, I'm, and part there's, you know, the uh, the process, trust the process, um, Sam Hinkie, you know, it's you tank until you get a franchise player. And you saw that with uh, Philly. And I feel like the Cavs have done that with with drafting two six one players and, you know, developing them and fielding a kind of a crappy roster until you get a player that you can build around. And, you know, two of them fell into their lap uh, late last season and into this season. So, and, and there was a, there was a bit of a disaster there with like trying to have Sexton be a point guard, but the, <laughs> well, the idea, I don't know yeah. if that's a disaster as much as just, you got to see if it's going to work or not. Nope. And, and I guess that's the point I'm making is that if you're doing that, like it doesn't hurt the development of a guy like Sexton to play on a quote bad team because he's going to score, right? You're going to try him at point guard. You're going to do this mix and match stuff with, with the Sexton off court or backcourt or front court, backcourt rather. And then I'm, I'm thinking uh, about two things at once. And then you've got, um, you know, Rubio came in now, but Delhi was supposed to be that role that year. So you, you weren't expecting it to be a huge detriment to them in terms of having mentorship or having a learning experience, like it doesn't hurt you that much to take a guy like that. Um, and, and I think Sexton did develop pretty well in, in that system, even though they did end up getting losses until they get into the, the good draft, they get third and they get Mobley. Yeah. And, and I will say it definitely could have backfired on him a little bit. I think if Colin Sexton was a different person, he could have very much handled that extension, uh, you know, situation this summer very differently. Um, it's to his credit that he didn't, but he, you know, there are some guys in the NBA that would have absolutely raised a stink 
and, you know, burn the franchise to the ground after they pretty much featured him as the face of the franchise for four seasons and then don't want to offer him an extension that's even close to the max. Um, you know, I could certainly, I certainly think he has some valid complaints there, um, with the way they've treated him, you know, marketing wise versus, you know, compensation wise. That being said, you know, they did develop the guy. It's a little bit, uh, tough to figure out what's going to happen with him because that injury really came at the absolute wrong time for his career. So, so a little bit of say, see what's going to happen. But I think that brings us to our next point. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that in our last segment, uh, right after we come back from the break. Um, and that's what does this Cavs team need to add or subtract? Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with, uh, Double Dose of Chris. Chris Lydon, Chris Francis on WCAB in the morning. No, I'm <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. It's twelve oh five a.m., so I can I can technically say that. That's right. <laughs> so uh, one of the last things we wanted to talk about is you know what does this team need to do? What's the next step from a roster construction standpoint, as well as you know how this season plays out in. Um, in terms of, of taking the next step, getting to the playoffs, advancing in the playoffs, uh, Chris Lydon? So there's there's two strands to this. One is the end of the bench, and the other is trying to improve the the main sort of rotation. You could say that the top eight players. Um, I think this team is good. I think this team is a, is a playoff team. Um, and so to look at both of those, I don't see a lot of um, good players uh, in the, in the very end of the bench. I think Davis is a good vet to have. He's actually shown that he can spot fill, which is great. Um, when you're looking at like Windler and Stevens kind of falling in and out of the, uh, the, the eight or, or, you know, eight ish man, nine man rotations. I think those guys are fine. Uh, Pangos and Valentine, I don't think are NBA players. Um, and that's kind of a rough spot. So I think there are a couple places where maybe you can get. NBA minutes out of the very end of the bench. And, um, and then in terms of making a trade, I don't see it happening. I, I think you don't fix it because it's not broken largely, um, with the way this team is running for this year. I think those are things you can do in the off season. If they're going to improve their actual rotation, it's going to be, um, trying to find a wing that's going to, I think, be better than Okoro. Cause I, I think we have like, I, I, I'm not sure we can upgrade the rest of the the wing depth with this sort of rotation. Uh, I'll be curious to see what you guys say, but I think you're looking at like a guy who can play as defense as well as Okoro and give you more on offense. And I don't think you can get that without giving up one of the other rotation guys. Uh, well, let me, let me respond to that first. So, you know, my big thing is the Cavs need a third ball handling guard that is playable. And the reason they need that is because they've had so much luck with, not, not luck, success with Rubio and Garland. But if you are playing both those guys close to 30 minutes a night and you are expecting to get through the whole season with them, I think that's very optimistic. Um, and I'm a little bit worried that the Cavs fall apart uh, if one of those guys goes down. Um 
you know, that with the caveat that, you know, maybe Chetty can step in and play a little bit if one of those guys goes down. But I really think you need a third bigger guard uh, that can play some point, that can play some shooting guard. I think there are guys out there like that. I have a couple suggestions. Um, you know, one of the ones that we've talked about a little bit is uh, Derek White in uh, San Antonio. But I, I, it probably very much depends on if San Antonio kind of punts on their season. Um, it also probably doesn't happen till after January 11th, which is when Denzel Valentine's uh, can be traded. Or not Denzel Valentine. Uh, Denzel Valentine is like December 19th. And then Ed Davis is January 11th. Um, and one of the things that Cavs can do is amalgamate a lot of the, their end of the roster guys into one kind of mid-level player. You know, you've got Pangos, you've got Valentine, you've got uh, Ed Davis, you've got Dylan Windler, all add up to around $8 million. I feel like you could package those guys and a draft pick and get a guy like maybe not um, Derek White, but you could get a guy like uh, Thomas Sadoransky from the Pelicans who is having a very bad year, but has shown the ability to, you know, play three positions, fill in at point guard, shooting guard, wing, play some defense, have some size that could really help your team and get him out of a bad situation. Um, the problem is, is the Cavs are only a f- three and three million and change away from the luxury tax apron. I don't think there's any way the Cavs want to go above that luxury tax apron. So whatever the Cavs do from a trade standpoint has to fit in those parameters. Unfortunately, that means that outside of, you know, amalgamating a few contracts from the end of the bench uh, for a guy making, you know, anywhere between eight and 11 million. And, um, that's the only move they can make without trading, you know, Rubio, Chetty Osman, Kevin Love, um, or Okoro and Sexton. And Sexton is probably untradeable at this point, just given his contract and injury situation. So, you know, it's some weird choices there, but I'm with you. The chemistry is so good. I don't want to see them trade any other major pieces except maybe some of those end of the bench guys. Yeah. The, I actually kind of agree with both of you, but my thing is I would take it actually a step further. Um, I feel like, uh, knowing how good Mobley is, um, and how much he'll improve too, uh, that I feel like they should be trying to trade that first round pick for somebody, for somebody uh, in that role that you're talking about, Nate, but get, get the best they can and be willing to trade picks to do it. Um, I think, you know, it's a risky thing, but I feel like one of the mistakes I would say in the Philly process, um, earlier on was not thinking and taking on risks, uh, to put them over the top. Um, I'm starting to think that way because of Mobley. I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, you got, you got Mobley, you know, you need to make sure that you're making moves 
to add real talent to the team because he's the guy, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, you know, cause I, I see what you're saying. Like what you're saying is completely reasonable and, um, honestly more likely than anything I'm suggesting, but I'm just wondering about you guys, how much risk would you guys be willing to take because of Mobley? Are you willing to trade possibly picks? Are you willing to trade a core piece, you know, and, and I'm with you guys about the reticence of like upsetting the vibe with a team. Cause it feels like the core guys, like the core 10, it just seems like there's so much good chemistry with the core 10 that's there right now, you know, with Rubio love, uh, you know, Wade, uh, Chetty off the bench, um, with the, with the starting lineup. Um, it seems like the vibe is so good right now, but you know, I feel like well, when you and, got and a guy like is, Mobley, you know, there's depth. Um, right. There's right. depth at everything except ball handling guard position. And that's the exactly. other thing that the Cavs have not had in a long time. And if you mm-hmm. trade depth for top tier talent, then, you know, that's a risk too. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. And we don't sure. need to, we don't need to trade away a first to upgrade Pangos, right? Like, <laughs> sure, and I and I do feel like that's what that is. I mean, like, yeah, if you can get if you can get some kind of wing again, if you can get a if you can trade the first to, like, especially with this year with Sexton being out and his status with the team in the future being questionable, especially as the starting two, like if you can upgrade, if you can find like a bigger guy who can do all the things we're talking about for that first pick, and they slot in immediately as your your starting two guard, um, and then you're you're making the run in the back half. I I could get behind that. Uh, I just don't know that that, and I, I, I literally don't know if, if that trade is out there, but I haven't seen anyone propose one that would make a lot of sense for that first, but I'm fine with the first. Like I'm well, fine with I, the I think the problem is not the first round pick for the Cavs. The problem is the matching salary that they would have to send back, which means if mm-hmm. you're trading more than eight or nine million away, you have to trade a core piece. You know, Kevin Love makes $28 million. Chetty Osman makes about $9 million. Isaac Okoro, yeah. you know, makes about $6 million. You can't get a guy that makes more than 8 or $9 million at you know, at the most. And you've got to have a team that basically wants to do a salary dump and just wants to get a, back a bunch of guys on yeah. non-guaranteed deals that they can cut. And a draft pick, that's a really hard team to kind of find. And that's why I picked the Spurs and the Pelicans who, you know, theoretically maybe so far out of it by the time we get to the, the trade window that they may be willing to do that because, but with uh, Zion Williamson coming back, it's hard to say, you know, yeah. and with the play in game, it means you're never really that far out of it. Plus you have some other options with that back bench. Like, I mean, Okoro does add what, like uh, seven or 8 million, to that trade like if you're going to do a Windler Okoro um, and then some bench scrubs and a first I think you can get over you can get something like 10 or 11 out of that I think just off the top of my head but um, yeah even 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 with just shuffling the guys on the bench um, you might be able to find somebody uh, to fill in that very much like fourth string essentially at that point guard that has a little bit more handling ability or running an offense ability behind Rubio, like you're talking about. I mean, like at what point do you just get rid of Pangos and just give 
Kyle Guy a shot in the NBA because Pangos isn't going to be Man, doing it. Well, I will we have tell some guys you, in the charge. I have seen Kyle Guy play, and Kyle Guy is not the answer. but he's he's probably an upgrade at the end of your bench he's shooting shooting at least well enough that you could play him in spot time if rubio gets injured well rather if kyle guy is the answer i don't want to know the question fair but 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 these are the little bits these are the little bits of of end the bench and oh tinkering around the edges yeah Yeah, absolutely um you know to me it's a guy like sanaransky Derek white i think it would be a great fit if they decide they're blowing it up in. Um, oh, I mean, they're San they're headed Antonio. towards Powell Ben. I mean, they're he- they're definitely headed towards a Powell Bencharo sweepstakes. I mean, oh yeah, that, that roster. Yeah, that roster. The other bad. side of that being, you know, I I don't think they want to move those guys because they have a lot of good young players. Maybe they are just one player away. You know, DeJounte no, you're right. is a really good point guard. Right. You right. Know, and you're absolutely and right. He and Derek White are under contract for the next four years. Like, yeah. That, so if you get a super, like the Cavs, you know, you get a superstar, everybody else kind of falls into place. Yeah. If Chet Holmgren or, you know, what is his name? Paolo Banchero, did I pronounce mm-hmm. that correctly? Yeah. Falls into your lap. You yep. know, that's maybe you don't move those guys. I, I think it's going to be really hard to pry guys away this season because so many teams are. So neither. So what I'm hearing both of, from from both of you is you're not breaking the bank for like a CJ McCollum or uh, Bradley Beal uh, or oh I don't think Buddy, those guys Buddy are Heald. remotely possible. Buddy okay. Heald, I don't think Buddy Heald gives them anything they need. Is the problem? He is a shooter and a scorer, and that's about it. Well, I think he would be that. It would, what he would really do is kind of what you were talking about with the success of Garland and Rubio. It would allow you to start Rubio at that point, and then bring Heald as like the sixth guy off the but bench. But he's not a ball to, handler, is he? Uh, um, I mean, that's he's a, more of a, a spot and curl shooter. I don't. He, that's a great question. I'd have to look at his unassisted stats. Um, yeah, I don't think but, he's really that much of a ball handler. I think you really need a guard and that's a guard that can play some wing would, would be really ideal so well let me let me propose something as well because we're uh, as uh the famous phrase goes getting a little long in the tube we are getting a little long um, in the tube. let me put it this way maybe the the best thing for this team being that our core is so young so so young is a year just another year Right. Yeah. Like, to see how it plays out. Exactly. So there. no, I'm, yeah, I'm like, with you. There is that there is a spot to push for the playoffs, but maybe the best thing to get deeper into the playoffs next season isn't a trade this season, but rather just letting these guys play that much longer together and get a year older. And then you see what a 21 year old Isaac Okoro can offer you. Well, and there's the other side of that coin. If Ricky Rubio is playing really well, but you don't think you have the shot to re-sign him next year, do you move him? You know, do you move him for somebody that you think can be around a little bit longer or draft picks or something like that? I mean, if you don't, you know, that's a real consideration long-term. Oh, they have to put an offer on the table with him, and if he doesn't want to be here, then they trade him because we're not talking about, even though this team is, Pretty darn, pretty darn good, and looks like they might be a playoff contender right now. I think you're thinking about Evan Mobley's second year in the NBA. You're thinking yeah. about your entire core still being locked up. The the Tower City, the the big three guys up front are all still on contract, and you're looking at doing that that second year move for sure. 
Yeah. And, and the other side of that is maybe you feel like that playoff run, if, if you have a Rubio, is absolutely necessary to the growth of that team. Maybe you don't make that move. But yeah. I think we're not going to know until we watch another month, month and a half's worth of games. So, I mean, this and, stretch. And I'm will looking probably, forward to it. Yeah, that's that's a great point. This stretch will be very telling because they're they're going through a murderer's row for about the next three weeks. So um, yeah. they'll be but very. They already ha- and they already have been through it. Absolutely, hundred percent correct. Yep. In February, they should be theoretically just mopping the floor. I mean, <laughs> it sounds insane, but in February you're going to be pushing toward forty. You're, you're going to be trying to win forty games. Yeah, I think they're on pace now for forty-four. Yeah. 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 And that's going to be what that stretch is. If they're still healthy. I mean, it's, you know, the sky's the limit. But, but I, again, I think you're, you're, you're stepped up to the plate right now, but you're thinking about your second time at the plate later in the game to use a baseball analogy and looking at what this team can do, making noise next year. Yeah, interesting. Well, um, as you said, the podcast is getting long in the tooth. Anything you want to pitch? Um, any, uh, you know, recommendations? Uh, I, I'll go first. I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife, a uh, pretty, pretty well produced movie. Um, pretty well shot. The sound was great. The, uh, the acting was fun. It, it, it was a fun time. Not, it was almost a remake of the first one. Um, but it was still a lot of fun. So I enjoyed it and it was nice to go to the movie theater to see it. And so, so I'll recommend that. And, uh, I, I don't think I have too much else. I have been pretty nose to the grindstone aside from that. What about you guys? Anything to pitch? Uh, I'll go next. Uh, my friend has a podcast uh, about the show Succession um, called Roycast. And uh, she does great work. She's been a friend for a long time. Uh, uh, she's a Clippers fan and also rooted for the Cavs back in 2016. You know, she was definitely anti-Warriors. So shout out to them uh, on the podcast Roycast if you guys are a fan of the show Succession. I, I've not watched Succession, but I really like a lot of the people in it. So yeah, I've heard same here. I've uh, you know I've kind of stayed away because I've heard it was the Rupert Murdoch thing, but I've heard it's also a great show. So <laughs> yeah, I mean I I have always liked Kieran Culkin ever since Scott Pilgrim and oh yeah right right. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy who plays the the dad is the uh, patriarch. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, God, is it Brian Brown? No, it's not Brian Brown. Brian Cox. Brian Cox is fantastic as, and is, uh, in my favorite, one of my favorite, uh, Wes Anderson movies, uh, Rushmore. So, and, and I think other ones too, but he, he's in a lot of great movies. So what about you, Chris Lydon? Anything to pitch? Yeah. I'm going to sound like the, uh, grandpa millennial that I am. And, uh, (laughs) Hey, have you guys heard this cool new thing? That's obvious to everybody under 20 in the world, but, uh, there's a guy in Britain uh, he's a Northern English guy named Sam Fender who put out a record last month, um, called 17 going under. That's very good. And it's like a, you know, like indie pop kind of Springsteen esque, uh, music, but I like it a lot. My band and I have been, um, dissecting some of the production and songwriting on his record. Uh, and it's, and it's very good and worth checking out. So that's, that'll be my plug. Um, I think he's very famous over there and kind of famous over here among younger people. But my fellow old people that like uh, rock and roll music, um, 
would probably enjoy the record. So I'll plug. Oh that. yeah, and then I will give a, a plug to the re-release of Kid A Amnesiac, um, the the two seminal Radiohead albums from the early two thousands that they've re-released together with a whole bunch of bonus tracks uh, in in honor of the the twentieth anniversary of Kid A. So uh, go check those out. A lot of fun. Two of my favorite albums, and the bonus tracks are really good. So excellent, nice. excellent. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs, baby. Sorry to keep you guys so late. No, team. Oh, and in answer to your earlier question, monkeys have a lifespan of you know ten to. 40 years, depending on the monkey. You know, some New World monkeys only live 10 years. So I feel like the Cavs defeated a, a pretty short-lived, um, you know, young monkey. So I, yeah. I saw some team hadn't won in San Antonio since, like, uh, Clinton was president or something the other day. Oh so, <laughs> so, you know, it could be worse. So I'm glad the Cavs aren't on that list. Yeah, the monkey is off our back. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin.